Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. got a busy show ahead of us it's Ali Maxwell and George Ellick and the podcast is sponsored by Betfair George deadline day grows ever distant in the rearview mirror but mm. what a day it was it was a great day it was a busy day mm. uh, for us it was quite funny watching some major outlets bemoan how slow it was and how nothing was happening whilst we were trying or we did uh, write a review of every single transfer that went through on the day there was a, especially a, a period between I'd say 9.30 and uh, just after 11, yeah. which was really quite manic. A lot of tapping, not much talking going on. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was a great day. And, you know, I, I think we're both pretty proud of not just the work we put out, but also the guys um, that we were working with on the day who put in a hell of a shift in order to to make the first ever deadline day on Entity 20. And the first window, to be honest, something that smashed all records in terms of our, um, our viewership. Yes, literally tens of thousands of you joined us on deadline day it was such a pleasure to provide something that i don't think has ever existed before an efl specific transfer deadline day blog thank you for being a part of it if you were on ntt20.com i had a few people message off the back of last monday's pod there was a lot of concern about when we would time our pub trip on deadline day and we absolutely nailed it three till six was the perfect time to be in the pub. A few bits and pieces happened while we were there and we tapped away at our laptops and we got slightly oiled and then we flew back to the office with a lot of energy for the evening session. The 11pm takeaway pizza as well was absolutely crucial. Uh, On the pod today, really busy one. Feels like there's a few teams that are sliding into a state of some alarm, some distress. We're going to cover those. Uh, Also, uh, regular listeners of the pod will know that our general... Uh, rule of not talking about draws in depth uh, works pretty well most Mondays to filter games from 36 to I don't know 28 or so Uh, then you get quirky weeks like this where in the championship there was only one draw Sunday's game between Borough and Sunderland League 2 had seven draws out of 12 so if this feels a little lopsided it's not our fault George League leaders Leicester went and beat Stoke 5-0 absolutely obliterated really Dakar Makatea Dakar Vardy Vardy uh, the match itself was something of a formality but there's interesting discussions on both sides here uh, Leicester discourse last week was dominated by uh, a discussion a debate about style of play there were some chunterings 
at the King Power during the win against Swansea midweek. Get it forward, that type of stuff. People finding it a bit boring. Enzo Mareska, not very pleased about it. Said, the only thing I can say is that people think it's easy, but it's not. I came to this club to play with this idea. The moment there is some doubt about the idea, the day after, I will leave. It's so clear. This is a weird one, isn't it? It's not unusual to hear fans talking about a possession-heavy style of play being a bit dull to watch, a bit slow. But normally that's when it's not working well in terms of results. Normally that's when the team in question is struggling to score and it becomes a sticking point. In this instance, it's being aimed at a team on course to post a record points tally in the championship. So my take on this is that if Southampton hadn't lost those four games in a row, say they'd won those four games in a row instead, mm-hmm. then they would currently be on 73 points and would be one point ahead of Leicester. If that was the case, I don't think you'd be hearing any of this. Or if you were, it would be to do with, um, you know, why aren't we better than Southampton? I think this is pure complacency, basically, mm-hmm. where I don't understand when you've scored 64 goals in 30 games, how there can be accusations that you're not being attacking enough. You know, I have had my own questions about Leicester this season but in terms of style of play in terms of when you consider the players they've got at their disposal is not winning seven of your 30 games so far this season enough to be questioning the manager and the, and the methods when you're 11 points clear like I I generally don't like sweeping um, opinions being built purely out of a league table but I do think it is a real first world problem for Leicester fans to be sitting in the in the stands and complaining about the style of play when they are putting in not only the levels that they are but also the, the football is, is good like I don't I don't you know it's possession based football it's going to be like I don't understand what they're necessarily expecting is this because you won the Premier League playing this kind of mad counter-attacking style under under Claudio Ranieri like I, I don't know what they were anticipating so and the good stuff that comes in the final third the excitement the shots the goals it doesn't come in isolation it comes as a function of what they do towards their own goal when they do build up slowly when the centre-backs do hold onto the ball for a long periods of time and they're trying to bait the opposition onto them you know there are two teams in every game you don't always get what you want in terms of how impactful your style of play is and it's very hard for a neutral to understand how there could be anything to moan about there's a spin-off in this discussion which I think is interesting which is uh, that whether or not it's boring or exciting there is a school of thought that it's potentially inappropriate for the Premier League. And there's already a discussion being had about whether the way that they are playing right now is going to be a car crash in the Premier League where the football looks very different, where the talent advantage, well, you go from having the best team in the league to one of the poorest teams in the league, most likely, and style of play and tactics do then become very, very important for your survival, for your fortunes. Now, to me, the point is interesting about whether this style of play will translate well to the Premier League. To me, it seems mostly to be a reaction to Burnley's struggles in the Premier League this season. I don't think before Burnley, we were talking about you can't go up playing possession-based style. It's not appropriate. Norwich are probably another example of a team that, you know, the narrative is that they they just weren't pragmatic enough. They weren't sort of sturdy enough. and, And that came back to playing this technical style of play in winning promotion. But generally, this feels like a a reaction to Burnley playing the way that they did last season in the Championship, trying to do the same in the Premier League and falling flat on their face. And partly also now Luton doing so well, playing the the kind of style that you maybe anticipate that a a relegated, sorry, a a promoted side would, fighting relegation, where 
you know, they make life very difficult. They don't sit off. They press incredibly well, but they don't look to retain the ball too much. It's also pertinent, I think, that two of the teams that have been promoted out of the championship who've had the best seasons in their first season after going up were Chris Wilder's Sheffield United, who finished in the top half, and Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds, who were the most expensive team we've ever seen in terms of style, having been promoted out of, out of the championship. So, you, yes, they both got relegated in the second season, but in isolation, in that first season, sticking to their guns enabled them to put together a really good... For, it wasn't even a first attempt to stay up because they stayed up so comfortably. So, it's a little bit simplistic. Also, um, Leicester's next Premier League match will be on the 17th of August in about six months' time. So and also, what, and why are we talking about this now? But and also Leicester's um, the capabilities of Leicester in terms of the players they're going to recruit and the squad they already has uh, compared to a Burnley is, is probably a little bit different. I know that Burnley, obviously, under new ownership, have, have recruited heavily. Um, but it does feel like the, the jump maybe won't be quite as... you know When you consider the players that Leicester have in their squad now and that we'll have returning, I don't think it's too much of an ask. I, I, People assume that Maresca will make no tweaks whatsoever and he will just blindly walk into the opening day of next season in the Premier League playing this 3-2-5 possession-based attacking style. I'm sure that the principles will remain the same. I don't think you can turn it on its head completely. But they're just this ignoring of any potential nuances in the way that they will approach things or how they will spend their summer actually preparing for I, I do think, and we spoke about it on the betting show as well, I do think there is something here that might be a concern for Leicester rather than the playing style is the fact when you look at the the way that the fixtures have landed this season, they are incredibly dominant against the worst teams in the league. Like, you know, they beat these teams by the kind of margins you'd anticipate. Yet apart from a 4-1 win at Southampton back in September, games against the better teams in the league have been really tight and they've lost four of them, including the the, the defeat at Middlesbrough as well. So That's get, interesting. it does feel to me like the, the way they play now enables them to be completely dominant against sides that can't live with it. But when you come up against a team who can play themselves it kind of gets stunted. And then you, you consider, especially that game against Leeds live on Sky in November, where we didn't see any expansive football, we didn't see any boring football, we didn't really see any football from them. They were they were the second best from, from start to finish. So, but as I say, I think this is just a case where football fans, a lot of football fans, um, get angry about their football team pretty consistently, no matter what happens. And they've been miles clear at the top of the, of the, of the table now for, for weeks Sort of filling the gaps where Jeopardy normally yeah, is, so just, is lacking at the moment. They're exactly. Filling the time. And, you know, if you are a Leicester, a Leicester City season ticket holder and you're bored at home watching your team win 3-0 and passing on the back, then fair play, I guess you're going to vocalise it. Last thing on Leicester, which I just noticed. When I was watching this game, I thought two things. One, gosh, they are good at finishing their chances when they get them, aren't they? And two... Gosh, they got a good goalkeeper, Hermanson. Now, I know he didn't cover himself in glory live on Sky against Ipswich the other day, but over the course of the season, Hermanson, along with Rushworth of Swansea and more recently Bradley Collins of uh, Coventry, who only came in about halfway through the season, have probably been the best shot stoppers in the division. What really matters in football matches, as managers often tell us, is what happens in both boxes. And that's where Leicester have dominated. They have the best conversion rate in the league. They score a higher percentage of their shots than any other team in the division. And in their own box, the highest save percentage of any goalkeeper that's played, uh, well, that's basically started every game this season. So in both boxes, Leicester have been absolutely dominant. And that, for me, is a big factor between when a possession-based style is exciting or whether it looks a little bit blunt. Uh, As for Stoke, three defeats in a row now for them. Schumacher... Not necessarily looking like the the silver bullet. I mean, it's fair to say that 
in their first defeat of this trio against Birmingham City, they were probably the better side on balance and, and lost that one, uh, as can happen. And then the last two games, they've had some very, very tricky fixtures. I don't think a 5-0 defeat to Leicester, as painful as it would have been, is the game after which we start panicking about relegation for Stoke City. But... Blackburn away next and then QPR and Coventry at home after that for Stoke. It is a, a very, very big few weeks. That leads us on to Blackburn, George. I feel like they are probably uh, the big story of the week, really. They lost 2-1 at home to QPR. Uh, before we get anything to into anything Rovers-based, this is a, a massive, massive win for QPR. They're now unbeaten in three with two wins and a draw and they are now three points back from Huddersfield. But Again, under Cifuentes, just churning out the odd result and picking up points. They're still in this survival battle. It's been a huge couple of weeks for them. They're, they're, you know, they're very much in it. And this was a game where going away from home to a side who sat eight points above them, but were going through their own um, tricky period. It was essential that they won it. And it means they picked up seven points from the last three games. Having been winless in the eight before that, they picked up two points in eight games, QPR, which... Um, didn't really align. Sorry, it was seven games because of the, the FA Cup game in there as well. So two points from seven games um, with the with the kind of Marty Cifuentes coming in and improving them. But but now it feels like he's definitely got a hand on the defence um, where both against, against Millwall, um, obviously they were kind of fortunate in the, in the late goal against Huddersfield that, that got a point there, but here against Batburn as well, against a team who, for all of their faults, still offer a lot of attacking threat, especially under, uh, under Yondel Thomason, who... We know the way that he sets them up, they'll always be fairly expansive games, but it was only when they were 2-0 up that um, Gallagher uh, scored the goal to get them back into it and they didn't really uh, feel like they were going to drop the points even from there as well. So, yeah, it's a big win for them. Um, Mate, you know they've got the second best record in the division for open play XG against since Marty Cifuentes took charge. Second best in the division. Defensively sound. That is a hell of a tick in the Cifuentes box mm. from where they were before under Gareth Ainsworth. Huge games coming up now as well. They've got Stoke away next midweek on Valentine's Day uh, on the 14th and they host Rotherham um, with Bristol City wedged in between as well. So they've got some big fixtures mm. and it wouldn't surprise me if off the back of that little run, um, you know, they're, they're not far off these teams now. Like it, I know we've said for a while that the championship relegation picture is is more open than it seemed, but now it's like close. Like Stoke only four points clear of it. Birmingham only f only four points clear of it. Blackburn, Swansea, Millwall five points. Like mm. th this isn't going to take time. Like if, if QPR pick up a couple of wins, I'm pretty sure the way some of those teams are playing, they're going to be in the thick of that uh, bottom three mix. A couple of bite-sized attacking performers. Uh, Ilias chair, big Ilias cutting inside, dipping inside, dummy shot, dummy shot, dummy shot, cut inside, cut inside, shoot. Off the post, off the back of Ainsley Pears and in for an own goal. And then a debutant goal from Joe Hodge on loan from Wolverhampton Wanderers. And he scored on his debut to make it 2-0. Blackburn pulled one back through Sam Gallagher. But it was another defeat for Blackburn. It means that they've won just one of their last 11 championship games. They've taken just five points in that time. Absolutely relegation form and sliding down towards the relegation zone. And it's not just on-field issues, is it? Because what a turbulent few days it's been in, in Blackburn Rovers' world. Uh, Adam Wharton was sold to Crystal Palace. We'll be very sad to see him go, but excited to see how he kicks on as a Premier League player. Uh, a fee of over £20 million reported for that. In response, Rovers signed John Fleck. They signed Billy Cumetio, who is a young left-footed centre-back on loan from Liverpool. And they signed a striker from Orlando City, Duncan Maguire, 
or did they? As we sit here on Monday the 5th of February, some time after the deadline closed, it is still not clear whether Maguire's transfer has gone through or not. He is a striker. Uh, that is a position that Rovers fans have been wanting their club to sign for some time. We understand that the fee is a few million dollars if the loan is made permanent at the end of the season. And Maguire was seen as an important player for Rovers to overcome their poor form. But... What's been reported is that a paperwork issue has been flagged as a problem and that we'll find out soon, possibly by the end of Monday, whether Maguire's transfer will go through or not. If it does not go through, this reflects really poorly on those running Blackburn Rovers. This time last year, a reported deal for Lewis O'Brien fell through, again due to uh, issues of uh, basically administrative issues, that the sort of issues that other clubs don't seem to have when they do late business in a transfer window. So it's all kicked off. On Friday, Yondale Thomason did not do the pre-match press conference and that was a decision by those above him who didn't want him to do the pre-match press conference. However, he did do the post-match press conference and it became pretty clear that he's not keen to toe the party line. He's not keen to necessarily protect those above him at his own or rather the fans' expense. Uh, he went pretty strong post-match about the situation at the club, about how difficult the circumstances and conditions are for him. And, well, George, what does that mean? It means that fans are angry, they're pretty worried. At the moment, they're focusing most of their ire at the Venkies, at Steve Waggett, the CEO. But this is a club that seemed to have, in the space of a month, really spiralled. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> crazy how quickly this has happened. It wasn't long ago that Blackburn, one of the teams that we considered to be a playoff contender, um, playing a brilliant brand of football. Um, and over the last few weeks, things have gone from bad to worse, both on and off the pitch. Um, the performances are terrible. The league position is a massive concern. Um, you know, I think Blackburn fans were keen to think that the relegation picture was beyond them. Uh, but now they sit, as I said, a second year, just five points above it. And to lose at home 2-1 to QPR, to be in a situation where the manager is effectively or allegedly being kind of gagged before the game because of, you know, the owners being scared of what they might say. Um, at a time where obviously, you know, the, the frustration of losing a, a young homegrown player, but, you know, with, of a 20 million quid bank it should be quite an exciting time for Blackburn Rovers right now so uh, you know and then to add to that as you say the the transfer saga especially after the, the Lewis O'Brien stuff last January where they bungled that transfer on deadline day it looks like they may, they may have done so again here having let Niall Ennis go presumably because the assumption was made within, within the club that they'd signed the striker that they wanted um, yeah I mean it, it, it it feels like there have to be decisions being made here to try and work out not only what is the best for Blackburn Rovers as long term, but also how they're going to arrest this slide. Because right now, this isn't unlucky. They aren't being unfortunate. They are playing badly and they're being punished for it consistently. They've conceded 55 goals this season. That's one more than Rotherham, who's hit bottom on 19 points. I think any team right now will fancy their chances against Blackburn. Um, and it's a huge game on Saturday. I mean, they've got a massive couple of games now. Saturday, they host Stoke which is just massive, two out-of-form teams who wouldn't have thought they'd be anywhere near this at the beginning of the season, hurtling towards relegation. And then they travel to Birmingham, who are in a very similar position as well. Um, it, it's probably not an over-exaggeration to say that Blackburn's season is going to be made, made or, or broken um, over the course of that those four days. Whether or not Yondell Thomason's in charge, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, and there's something we've said quite a lot of the time, is like, 
it always felt like Blackburn being a team on the cusp of the, the playoffs was a bit of an overachievement. Like you look through the squads and it was pretty impressive what they were doing in terms of developing homegrown talent, the, 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 the youth in the squad as well, getting Sammy Smodix, who'd kind of always been a, a lively number 10 to being topping the, the goal scoring charts in the championship. Like there was all good stuff. But I, I think, you know, as is often the case, as soon as performances on the pitch start to turn, it often brings a spotlight onto issues elsewhere and that seems what's, hap- what's happening now at Ewood Park. This was a big game at the bottom as well, George. Huddersfield against Sheffield Wednesday and I certainly didn't see the scoreline Huddersfield 4, Sheffield Wednesday 0 uh, being the full-time result. Football is pretty nuts. I mean, you could you could say with even more strength that one hour in, when the score was 0-0, when not that much had happened <laughs> at this point, 4-0 would have seemed a long way off there. But Pearson heading home a set piece then Karoma, Sorba Thomas and Karoma again doing Wednesday on the break. This is a massive win for the managerless Huddersfield. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's a huge win uh, when you consider um, what happened at QPR and when you consider where Sheffield Wednesday are on the table right now. Like, it really is a, a massive, massive victory for them. Um, and to do it 4-0, to follow up what was an anomalous, brilliant performance in the the one-all draw at QPR where they deserve to win, you know, that caused the end of Darren Moore's reign um, but rather than them reverting back to type they maintained that level and, and were able to put aside a, a Sheffield Wednesday side who've been so impressive this season like I still think Danny Rell's done an amazing job so far but this was quite clearly their worst performance so far under him um, you know for, for those people like myself and you called me out on it who kind of assumed that they were going to be okay it's a bit of a rude awakening when you now look at the league table and you see that they are you know, a long way off safety. You know, they're five points back from QPR. They're currently eight points behind Huddersfield in 21st. And you know, right now, as good a job as Danny Royal is doing and, and as attractive a prospect he probably is for Sheffield Wednesday next season or other clubs even, given what he's done so far, um, it's going to we're getting, I would say, to great escape territory now mm. if, if Wednesday are going to be saved. Pick your favourite. Rotherham nil, Southampton two, and Bristol City nil, Leeds one. Just a quick one on Saints, I think. Um, doing exactly what we expected them to do. Uh, Bednarek scoring the first, and then a really nicely taken goal from Adam Armstrong off some brilliant work from Ryan Fraser. And they did it fairly comfortably, um, missing a couple of good opportunities. Armstrong could have added to his tally in the second half. Um, you know, for Rotherham... Rotherham feel to me at the moment like one of those sides who every week they seem to play a team who are really good and we sit there being like well you know that's tough but poor Rotherham um, because they, they're not expected to get anything out of this but at some point that will change um, but there aren't any signs as of yet I wouldn't say that um, Liam Richardson is, is, ma- is markedly improving them um, at the moment so uh, they have got home games coming up against Sheffield Wednesday and Huddersfield uh, before kind of mid-March which will be important but you know if, if we're if we're saying that it's going to be a great escape for Wednesday if they do it, then for Rotherham it's the um, you know it would be miraculous. Shame Neil Warnock isn't available. <laughs> a genuine resurrection, yeah, which I think um, is one up from a great escape. But big for Saints, you know they capitalise on results elsewhere going their way, a result elsewhere going their way in Ipswich Town. Uh, but um, yeah, and they're you know they've still got a game in hand on Leicester. I still think that the, the way they're playing right now, um, they're going to put the pressure on. Yeah, if Harwood Bellis keeps playing those 
delectable balls over the top when the opposition line is high, uh, which was the the pass that sent Fraser clear to set up Armstrong for the second goal. Uh, just adds so much to the team that is alre- already uh, pretty impressive going forward. I like that their first goal was just a, a corner where they just stuck it in the mixer. None of this short corner nonsense for Russ Martin. Just put it in the mixer and hope that it bounces to Jan Bednarek. Uh, 21 unbeaten. Uh, if you're wondering what the longest unbeaten run in the EFL is, that's Reading. 33 games, 0506. So 12 more still for Saints. I've gone early there. I've gone too early there. Uh, Leeds won their win at, at Bristol City, and what a strong away performance it was on Friday night. Uh, missing a couple of chances in the first half. Bristol City got in behind once early on. Nicky Wells, it was. Really good covering tackle. And after that, um, Leeds were, were clearly the better side and, and controlled the game. The winner coming from Willie Nonto, uh, his first league goal since August. Another clean sheet for Leeds uh, and another win as well. Five in a row to start this calendar year. But the big result towards the top, or at least the surprise result towards the top, George, was Preston 3, Ipswich 2. Preston were 3-0 up by half-time here. Ipswich feeling somewhat aggrieved. Uh, certainly the second goal looked fairly clearly half a yard offside uh, as Reese Jacobson ran through. Edmondson, uh, the scrambling, uh, recovering defender, then poking the ball into his own net. But even the first goal, I think, um, a challenge on Sam Morsi from Will Keane. A lot of Ipswich fans thinking that it wasn't just easing him off the ball. It wasn't shoulder to shoulder. It was just a foul. Uh, but the referee didn't agree. Uh, all of a sudden, they were 2-0 down. And they gave it away playing out from the back. They were 3-0 down. Uh, quite an exciting late rally involving two of their new strikers. But a, a defeat for Ipswich and only one win in eight now. Yeah, really damaging this. And it kind of felt like after the humbling defeat to Maidstone in the FA Cup, you know, it's easy to say it's a hangover from that. And I think when you see the, the first two goals, it's even easier to, to write that off because, um, they, as you say, there were two moments that, you know, probably shouldn't have... Uh, well, yeah, both maybe shouldn't have counted and, and certainly one of them had a big size of luck attributed them to them too. And they, they did okay trying to get themselves back into the game in terms of the pure chances they created. Um, they made the the move to bring Kiefer Moore on at half-time for Caden Jackson. I think given what happened in the second half, that'll probably be uh, the last we see of Jackson for a while with both Moore and Alhamidi uh, fit and in the squad. Uh, Broadhead off the bench as well. Um, you know, they probably did enough in terms of the pressure they put on Preston to get something out of the game. But eventually by the time they actually made the breakthrough it was it was too late for them to to really hammer home that that pressure so I mean massive frustration for them this is it, it's it's kind of similar to the race in League One last season where at this stage we basically had Plymouth Argyle, Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich winning every week but now there are four teams and there's two spots and it kind of feels like Ipswich were the one to blink this weekend um, and they have been the ones to blink over the last four weeks uh Really tough game for them on Saturday, hosting West Brom. We know how good West Brom are. We know what happened in the reverse fixture there. It kind of feels like if they don't win that game, they might be the first ones to be to be kind of cut adrift and yeah. it becomes a three-horse race. Which is crazy considering we're two-thirds of the way through the season and they're still over two points per game in terms of their points tally. Uh, but such is this season's championship. Impressive energy and intent from Preston to start this game, uh, pressing high, disrupting uh, Ipswich in their attempt to build up from the back. I mentioned the other day I was kind of impressed with their start against Leeds a couple of weeks ago, albeit they did end up losing that match. And uh, yeah, they haven't strung back-to-back wins in the league since November, Preston. In fact, the last three times they've won, they've followed it up uh, by going winless in two. So that's kind of the gauntlet. That's the next hurdle for Ryan Lowe and his Preston side. But a, a massive win for them and very welcome, I think, for those fans who get a little bit restless after two without a win. 
but the team just doing enough to keep them uh, in the top half. Tenth they are, in fact. Uh, right, fifth and sixth, George, right now are West Brom, of course, and Hull City now. Uh, both of them won 1-0. West Brom beat Birmingham 1-0. Hull beat Millwall 1-0. Which of those do you want to do? Hull Millwall. Um, the return of Philogene is not my lover. Um, he's just a guy who can score from an amazing shot against the bar by Anas Zaruri. <laughs> Catchy. Yes. Um, yeah. God, Michael Jackson was such a good songwriter. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great game, this. Zaren Fleming nearly scored a, a delicious lob, uh, which would have got Millwall a point. Interesting to see Ozan Tufan starting as a, as a striker um, with uh, players out, obviously, for Hull at the moment. But uh, Fabio Carvalho, Zerurin off the left, Philogene off the right. It is all pretty exciting. But the game itself wasn't actually that exciting. There were very few chances after uh, Hull were, were put ahead early. Millwall, definitely one of the sides that need a look in this relegation picture. Um, they are in amongst it as well uh, right now and performances not great under Joe Edwards uh, at the moment. So they're one to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, my new name for Hull is the Hullam Globetrotters because okay. having signed Zaruri, having signed Fabio Carvalho, having Jaden Philogene, having Ryan Giles, having Ozan Tufan playing as a sort of false nine, I think it, it does feel like they're building a kind of uh, exhibition 11 of, of sort of the perfect championship FIFA 11. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit cynical about how it will actually work in terms of the alchemy of these players on the pitch. And I have this weird thing about like, Zaruri is clearly a player who likes playing off the left side. Philogene is clearly a player who likes playing off the left side, albeit had to play off the right wing here. Carvalho is a central attacking midfielder, but definitely has that left side bias as well. Giles is one of the most exciting attacking left backs in the championship, but is not particularly good defensively. And I'm just not sure how all that comes together. I mean, they're going to skew left pretty strongly, you'd think. Uh, And, you know... I can't get past the fact that for me on deadline day, the best attacking player they could have added would have been a right winger who's really comfortable playing off the right. Uh, And it was interesting to me that Manuel Benson and Anas Zaruri, who were complete superstars for Burnley last season, were both seemingly on on the chopping block, so to speak. And Hull went and got Zaruri, whereas I think there's an argument that Benson might have been a better fit for the way that they're playing at the moment, sort of stretching the play uh, on the right-hand side. Anyway... What a start from Zaruri, uh, the Hullam Globetrotters with a, an exciting Ridiculous. goal. Can we, can we replace Globe with something better? This is bad when I try and ad-lib because we should have thought about this before. But yeah, 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 yeah. The Harlem Humbertrotters. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and West Brom beat Birmingham 1-0. Another narrow game, another win to nil for West Brom. Most clean sheets in the league, 13. Uh, and Birmingham did have one big chance and a couple of pot shots from range, but... Uh, baggies as they do so well keeping their opposition at bay not exactly fully firing at the top of the pitch but super sub Andy Vyman finishing excellently from a Darnell Furlong cross Furlong going flying over the advertising hoardings into the fans uh, and up to celebrate with them uh, for a big win for West Brom they hadn't been up to that much in the second half before that goal it was a really sharp take from Vyman Uh, so four point gap West Brom have uh, between themselves and seventh having played a game more uh, everything seems a little quieter off the field at the moment. Hopefully there's things going on behind the scenes and, and a sale in the offing for West Brom. A uh, big result in the playoff picture, George, was Norwich 2, Coventry 1. This win puts Norwich one point off the playoffs. They are near the top of the form table in the championship. David Wagner, Ben Napper masterclass? Uh, yeah, I'm sure Ben Napper would um, 
appreciate that one. I'm sure he'd say there was nothing to do with him. No, it's, I mean, it's interesting. The, the return of Josh Sargent clearly has been... Well, I mean, it looks very big. When, when you watch Norwich from an attacking standpoint with Sargent back in the side, it just looks a lot more cohesive and he offers that pace in behind and quality in the final third that maybe they were lacking before. Um, this game swung on a couple of moments, I would say. You know, Callum O'Hare continuing with the first goal to show that he is certainly one of the best technical players in the league, maybe the best, um, destined for a Premier League stadium or at least a, a top-tier um, stadium next season for sure. The Bernabeu. Wow. You said Premier League stadium or a top-tier stadium. Yeah, so, so I was thinking maybe like Vicano. <laughs> Absolutely awesome. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Has you right missed a massive chance, which has kind of been the story of his season, albeit not as much in recent weeks. And it feels like if that goal goes in, Coventry probably win the game. Mm. And Norwich, then four points off the playoffs, they don't make the points up on Coventry. Might be quite pivotal in both their seasons, I would say, that miss. And you had the same thought when you watched it too. Well, except I was framing it as a save by Angus Gunn. Just towed it away. There you are. Man of it the... wasn't a miss. Didn't no, miss no, it. No, no. Well, <laughs> man of the keepers. It was a miss. It was. He, he didn't miss the goal. No, it was just a good save. Um, but he he should have finished it better. Yes, I'd say. Well, you know, I mean, I'm a big right fan. So, um, but yes, I mean, and that it was it was a big chance if he didn't score. And then a red card uh, for Liam Kitching, where it was a straight red, even though he was on a yellow anyway. Pretty obvious one in terms of, um, uh, you know. No attempt to play the ball outside the box. Last man prevented a goal scoring opportunity. Uh, straight red. And then they made their advantage count 11 v 10. Um, so two pivotal moments there that swung it in, in a kind of a similar way. If you think back to the the, Covent, the Coventry Leicester game, where um, it was Coventry who were the beneficiaries of red card that swung it massively in their favour when they were 1 0 down. Um, in this sense, a, a real blow to their, to their good run of form. Just the one point taken from, from two games against Bristol City and Norwich. Um, it's frustrating for them, um, but for Norwich, in a similar way how we were talking about Blackburn earlier, saying that when things are going wrong off the pitch, it shines a light on 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 the pitch. Sorry, it shines a light on what's going elsewhere. With Norwich, it kind of feels like a sliding the other way, where maybe fans are like, "Whoa, hold on, we are maybe maybe we're quite good." We're quite yeah, good. as you mentioned, I think the return of Sargent just adds so much to what they can do at the top end of the pitch, and the establishment of Borja Sainz. Mm. In this team, it's taken him a few months to get fit, then get in rhythm and show what he can do. But it turns out what he can do is spank them in from range pretty consistently. And he did so to win this game. Uh, I do think Norwich, uh, unfortunately, and I don't often say this, I think they should be docked points for playing Seven Nation Army as goal music. Which, I mean, it's very Bundesliga and I hate it. Um, but... Thankfully, I'm not in charge of sanctions. Uh, one point off the playoffs. And per Ollie Inwards, who's a Norwich fan on NTT20 squad, in Norwich's next nine games, they only play one team in the top 10. And that's Sunderland, who are in eight. So the average league position of Norwich's opposition in their next nine league games is 16th. Imagine if they carry on this run. They'll be established in the playoffs come April. And you have to say, it would be one of the funniest promotions of all time. <laughs> Uh, Borough and Sunderland drew 1-1 on, on Sunday. A good game, even game really. Both sides had a big miss uh, at 0-0. One from Azaz for Borough, one from uh, Barr. Not a miss, cleared off the line. Not a miss. You're redefining what a miss is. Cleared off the line. Um, Marcus Force scored an exceptionally good goal. Absolutely incredible touch and finish. Uh, and then Rusin equalised with what was a pretty tame effort uh, into Glover's you, near um, post. Did you see, I think it was Sunderland's account... 
slowed down the routine shot to really slow to make it look as if it was like an amazing hit and I was like <laughs> good video editing fair play to you well done Nazare. Um 1-1 one, one, and then a couple of sneaky away wins George to finish us off do you want to talk about Swansea nil Plymouth one or Watford nil Cardiff one wow what a, what a selection uh, Swansea nil Plymouth Argyle one let's say mm-hmm. um, a move straight off the training ground oh um, so nice with uh, yeah Morgan Mitiger you know, basically a corner played short with Whitaker making a run around um, from the back post uh, into kind of towards the penalty spot, um, drawing the defender out and then planting it in um, to continue his quite incredible season. Didn't look too gutted not to be eating a carbonara on the streets of Rome after being linked to Lazio later <laughs> on in the window. Um, to give him his full name, joint top scorer in the league. Morgan Whitaker. Who'd have had Sammy Smolix and Morgan Whitaker as the two top scorers in the league? Um, is Armstrong level with them too or one behind? One behind. Um, also called Captain Morgan Whitaker, wearing yes. the armband as well now. Yeah, real and, fun. And sideways Sammy Smoddix. <laughs> Um It's uh, yeah. I mean, for, for Swansea, I mean, I was looking at this in depth this morning because, as people may have already noticed, I've been doing some work on the Championship relegation battle to see kind of who is really in trouble. And it was interesting to note because there's no denying like the the form hasn't improved under Luke Williams. Um, at all and if anything I would say like the underlying numbers have got a lot worse from a defensive standpoint which isn't a massive surprise but the, you know the attacking stuff hasn't got way better yet um, but their fixture dispersion the way their fixtures have landed um, makes for quite positive reading for Swansea fans where Swansea still have to play Millwall, Blackburn, Stoke, QPR and Rotherham at home this season and when you consider if you take from 15th down um, they've played so they from 15th down this season away from home Swansea have played seven games they've won four of them and drawn three of them and at home they played four games against those sides won one drawn two and lost one so they've only lost one game in what 11 from teams from 16th and below and lower you would think that having that many home games against teams down towards the bottom should be of, of more benefit to them than most so that's my bit of positive spin uh, for mm. Swansea fans if needed it was the first time Argyle had won away this season it was the first time they'd won away in the championship for 15 years. It was the first time they'd won away from home on a Saturday at 3pm since 2022. Seems kind of surprising that they managed to win promotion, despite the fact they didn't win away from home on a Saturday uh, in 2023. Uh, but there you go. Connor Hazard making some big saves for them. Uh, and Cardiff getting a surprise win at Watford as well. 1-0, in which they defended pretty well, kept Watford outside of their box, away from their goal for the most part. When Watford did have chances... Anik generally made the saves when needed. There was one off the post as well. Now, Cardiff didn't have a lot going forward until Josh Bowler picked up the ball. And Bowler, one of our favourite players over the last few years, who you have to say looks not a shadow, not a shell of the player that he was a couple of years ago, but certainly lacking confidence in attacking moments. Hopefully this is the moment that gets him back to being full Josh Bowler because he picked up the ball, he carried it a bit, he evaded some defenders, and then he just smashed it in the top corner from 20-25 yards. It was an absolutely brilliant goal to win the game for Cardiff, a big, big win for them. They are outside of this relegation conversation that you're having, and that's because of wins like this. Uh, We spoke about them a couple of weeks ago, and they're desire to add players uh, to support Mr. Bullet in his uh, playoff chase and they did that. Famara Jeju is back in the championship. Great to see him back uh, on loan from Granada. Uh, came on here and won a couple of headers which uh, is mainly my memory of him from before. <laughs> uh, but he did score actually at a much better rate than I realised at Bristol yeah. City. It's like 
0.33 per 90, so about one in three. And given what else he does physically and the work that he puts in, I think could be an interesting one for Cardiff. Um, Josh Wilson, Wilson Esbrand on loan from City, was on loan at Co- uh, Coventry last season and didn't quite make that left wing-back spot his own. Bidwell kind of kept him at arm's length, um, but provides cover for Jamalou Collins, who's their only left-back at the moment. Ethan Horvath has come in, and I guess the plan is that he will uh, become their first-choice keeper at some point. And David Turnbull, I'm interested to watch. Uh, he's signed from Celtic. Undisclosed fee reported to be about two million quid. From what I understand, Turnbull is a real trigger-happy attacking midfielder who's not going to do a ton of work out of possession, but who can provide the sort of killer pass and threat from range that uh, generally carries quite a good threat at this level. So uh, we'll see how that goes for Cardiff. Certainly a good day for them away at Watford, who are stuttering somewhat. That's the championship. What a weekend it was. And in League One, uh, Portsmouth carried on their good form. They smashed Northampton 4-1 at Fratton Park, playing some very exciting attacking football. Uh, They had what looked like a very, very good, strong transfer window. Uh, Rich Hughes, who is developing him a bit of a name for being a very savvy transfer operator, has looked at a team top of the league, but with some pretty key injuries, long-term injuries, particularly to Regan Poole and to Robertson, the attack-minded central midfielder. Uh, he's added Miles Pert-Harris, who's gone straight into the team and provided some big moments already, in particular here winning a penalty, uh, albeit Colby Bishop missed that penalty, but he's provided a little bit of quality Um at uh, the tip of the midfield, which was lacking. Uh, Callum Lang has come in and had a big impact already, scored in both games against Oxford and here against Northampton and picked up an assist as well. Paddy Lane seems to be enjoying playing with this lot. He scored two goals here as well. They also added Owen Moxon from Carlisle uh, on deadline day and Tom McIntyre from Reading a couple of days before. So making the most of uh, situations where, in Moxon's case, He'd made it clear to Carlisle that he was not interested in re-signing uh, in the summer. So Portsmouth have moved quickly to make him their player. But the the good thing for Moxon, really, because he hasn't had an easy season so far, having been excellent uh, in League Two last season, is that with Pack and Morrell at the base of midfield for Portsmouth, he can probably bed his way in fairly slowly. And you have to think that could be for the benefit long term. Sometimes January transfers get thrust straight in and it doesn't. It almost doesn't help them because they don't have much of a period of adaptation. Uh, Lang seemingly hasn't needed any and has been absolutely excellent. But a fantastic day for Pompey and their fans at Fratton Park. Tom McIntyre went straight in a left centre-back and did get sent off here for a a strong challenge in which he got the ball very cleanly and the referee sent him off, I guess, for dangerous play. But It's I, happening a bit at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, what was the phrase you used? We're watching the goalposts move right in front of our eyes. Yes, because people are being sent off for strong challenges. Strong, fair challenges. Ball-winning challenges. Ball first, man second, early bar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marlon Pack had a good game as well. Great set piece for Ogilvy's header that put them ahead. Good forward pass as well in the build-up to, to one of the other goals. The, the third goal for Pompey really made me laugh. It was 2-0 at this point. Uh, they'd missed a penalty and they'd gone down to 10 men. So you'd have thought there could be a, a bit of ascendancy for Northampton. They had an attacking free kick about 30 yards out. And they tried to do a little clever one where they tap it to one side and then that guy taps it to the other side. And they botched it. And Callum Lang nipped in, stole the ball 
and five touches later, it was in the Northampton net, courtesy of, of Paddy Lay in his ninth for the season. So excellent recent form for, for Portsmouth. It's been very, very impressive response and performances over the last week or two. And, you know, you have to say a really strong window as well. So uh, they are in a position of, of strength, as we record, um, after what felt like a, a mini wobble. I kind of feel like they're very much back sturdy on their feet and ready for the slugfest that is the last third of the season. Uh, Mark Lennon did score an absolute banger for Northampton Town. Make sure you watch that one. Uh, Bolton and Barnsley drew 1-1. Aaron Collins made his debut for Bolton, having signed from Bristol Rovers uh, on deadline day. He got a great assist for, uh, I was going to say Dan Ashworth, for Zach Ashworth, Dan Ashworth's son, who has scored two goals from left wing back for Bolton in recent weeks. Uh, Durante Cole had opened the scoring for Barnsley. Both teams had chances to win this game, but they had to share the spoils. Perhaps the surprise result of the day, Peterborough 2. They'll probably win if they score two at home, don't they? Yeah, normally. False. What? Peterborough 2. Wigan I, three. I stopped reading after two. But you want me to talk about it though? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Wigan um, took their chances effectively and crucially. Uh, Talo Asgard, clearly the uh, architect of this win and the um, player who was unlucky not to score a hat-trick, really. Um, Peterborough started by I'm far... Genuinely the- angry on his behalf. Yeah, I agree. Do you think Do you think he thought when he scored the third that he scored a hat-trick? I mean, we need to explain this to the listener because they probably wouldn't have seen it. So, um, Posh were on top, as you probably expected they would be um, for the first 15 minutes or so. Hector Capriani missing the best chance they had. And then Asgard put, uh, stuck away what was a really nice team move um, from Wigan to, um, after 20 minutes. The pressure continued to mount from Posh. But again, um, it was Wigan who scored next just after half time when Asgard shot from distance. McGuinness it's kind of like half getting his foot out of the way and half flicking it and kind of diverts it into the bottom corner. Asgard wheels off celebrating. McGuinness wheels off cele- wheels off celebrating. McGuinness is given the goal only for Asgard to then go and uh, score the um, goal to make it 3-0 just with about five minutes to go. So would he have thought he got a hat-trick? Maybe, but the second goal goes to McGuinness. Um, Knight and Jay Jones scored both in injury time to give Posh some short-lived hope. I don't think there's loads to worry about here with Peterborough. Like, really frustrating for them to drop points after a really good run of form, especially at home where they're so good, but they, they still created loads. Uh, Mason Clark looked li- as lively as ever, despite his move to Coventry with a loan back till the end of the season, which I think is frustrating for Posh to lose him, but also really crucial that he's still going to be there for the run-in here because they are going to be right in the thick of it in terms of the, the title race. So Poku's injured at the moment as well. He is, yes. So, um, yeah, that is important. But a big win for Wigan, who, you know, realistically look well set to finish nice and comfortable mid-table, which when you consider where they started with the points deduction and when you consider where they were a year or so ago, it's a really nice platform for them to build into for next season. It definitely is. They've now beaten Peterborough, Derby and Bolton away from home this season, Wigan, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, And, and they've beaten Oxford and Pompey at home, there you I go. think. Is that right? I'll, I'll, I'll check go. it. But yeah, I mean, it is. But they, I've said it on the pod before, like they are a side who, to my eye, look way more at home, out of possession. Like we're happy. We're just going to sit in. We've got players like Asgard who can hit you on the break and that's how we're going to attack. Um, so when the game settles into that rhythm, I think they're happy. I think it's more when um, they play against sides who also don't really want the ball is where it's more tricky. Peterborough and um, and Oxford. So they've done the they've done the double over posh. Mm, yeah, Asgard... If we're not giving him a hat trick, begrudgingly, still like a real sort of coming of age few weeks for him. Four goals and one assist in his last four. But there were other 
big moments really for for Wigan that need to be marked and celebrated. Charlie Hughes played a pass out to Jordan Jones from right centre back out to the left wing in the build up to the first goal. That was top top level stuff, uh, top level centre back distribution. And Humphreys with incredibly quick feet and a burst of acceleration to set up the third goal as well. Uh, so brilliant day for them. Another day, good day. And God, there have been a lot of good days recently for Derby County. George, they went to Charlton. They won 1-0. For Derby, that means in their last 16 league games, 12 wins, two draws, two defeats, 38 points in that time. They're in smashing form. Yeah, they are. Um, a game that I think comes at quite a good time. Now, Nathan Jones been appointed at Charlton, which we'll get into in a second, um, but wasn't in for this one. Wasn't a great game. It feels like uh, Curtis Fleming, who's been in temporary charge at Charlton, has done quite a good job of doing what neither Dean Holden nor Michael Appleton were able to do and just make them a little bit better at preventing the, op- the op- opponents from creating chances. Having said that, this came from a pass out the back from Gillespie, uh, which was short and enabled Derby to, to spring. Bird picking up the ball, playing it through um, to... Mendes Lang, who finished pretty nicely, and the game kind of went after that without too much going on. Um, so, and Charlton appoint Nathan Jones, who comes in um, and is a really interesting appointment to my mind. Like, I think it's a like a massive coup. <laughs> like, I can't really stress that enough. Where, and I know this is weird because there'll be a lot of people listening who think Nathan Jones is some kind of a joke figure, and I understand that because on the biggest stage of all in the Premier League as a manager, he became, I mean, I was going to say cartoon villain, but maybe it was just like a cartoon um, with with some of his comments and, and the way he went about speaking in the media. I, I don't think he's necessarily someone who um, will thrive in environments where every word he says is picked apart and pulled upon. However, it wasn't long ago, it was like a year ago that Nathan Jones was seen by a Premier League club as being the next Premier League manager to come in. There aren't many managers who've come in from the Championship to, or the, the EFL generally and been appointed as a Premier League manager. So for him to be taking over a club who are embroiled in a relegation battle in League One, who currently sit 19th in League One, so staring League Two in the face next season, I can't think of many other sacked Premier League managers who would consider taking that kind of job, especially given that nothing has come in between. Like It's not like he left Southampton and has gone somewhere else and failed again in the championship. Like This is a guy who, and I know the job he did at Luton has somewhat lost its gloss because of what Rob, Rob, Rob Edwards has come in and done, suggesting that maybe it wasn't all Jones's actions. But you've just got to look at where Luton were when Nathan Jones took over and where they were when, when he left. And also the job he did when he came in, when Graham Jones uh, left the club, and they were basically relegated from the championship. And not only did he save them that season, but he also left them in a position where they were able to then crack on and, and get promoted last season. Um, I think he's shown himself to be way more tactically adaptable than most managers, where the style of play, he hasn't necessarily had a set style of play. Like, it's mad to me now that the thing that it was, was levelled at him at Stoke was how wedded he was to the diamond, the famous <laughs> diamond. Whereas now we've seen him play so many different systems. We've seen him play counter-attacking styles, possession-heavy styles, like use massive width in terms of when he had uh, Justin and Stacey at Luton. We've seen him crowded fields with, with the diamond. Like it, it just, you know, he's someone who's, I think, got a PR problem rather than a tactical problem or a managerial problem or a coaching problem. And 
for that reason, that is why Charlton Athletic have been able to appoint him as their manager. Because if it wasn't, if, it, if he was just judged on CV, and if you were a championship um, boss of someone like Huddersfield or Millwall, and you were just handed a CV without knowing the man or seeing the interviews or whatever, then you would jump at the opportunity to hire him based on what he's done at Luton. So uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. You know, I was pretty excited about to see how Appleton uh, played out at Charlton uh, and that didn't go too well. But given that he's got a he's got a, a record and a history of being uh, a Charlton coach, so there's an affinity with the club as well. Uh, and given how much he needs this job and he'll be fully aware that, you know, Charlton is a, a club that we've seen in recent times, invest heavily in the playing staff. So keep them up this season and there will be a, a war chest to go with next season to take them back to the championship. And I think he um, has shown in the past that he's very, very capable of doing that. If Jones can coach them to be in any way coherent out of possession, where they just look desperate at the moment, if he can get them to show a little more composure, a little more focus with the ball, a little more understanding of who should move where and how to combine, well, they, they really should start to move up the table. But overall, I'm really excited and we've seen him go on a pretty exciting journey with Luton Town and I think that there's a good chance it could happen as well with Charlton if if they can get these first these first few months right. Uh, Stevenage beat Blackpool. This was a massive game uh, in terms of the playoff race where Stevenage are in sixth spot. Blackpool very much wanting to hunt them down. There was three points between the teams before this game and now it's six points and two games in hand for Stevenage. They got a late win, a deflected force to Kasky goal. Uh, this game had very little in it, as you may have expected, but Stevenage uh, managed to blunt the threat of Blackpool, who've been pretty good going forward in the last few weeks. Uh, only four shots inside the Stevenage box taken by Blackpool, and they got the job done in the end with a, a hint of fortune about the deflection. But Verdane Oliver's gone up top, playing alongside Jamie Reid. Every aerial ball is being targeted towards him. Uh, I think he had a 60% aerial win percentage, which for a striker is absolutely exceptional. And you're starting to see exactly why Steve Evans brought him in. Uh, Leighton Orient beat Carlisle 3-2. A Carlisle lucky to get two, I think would be uh, the headline here. I, I mean, genuinely lucky because the first goal was a bit of penalty box pinball. The ball got cleared into Josh Vela and flew into the goal. And he wheeled away as if he just scored an absolute worldie, which really stuck in the craw. Um, uh, Orient then came flying back. They were 3-1 up. Uh, Shaq Ford at the double, one beauty and one poacher's finish. Uh, Real Soteri scored his first goal for some weeks as well with a really tidy finish. And Orient, George, top of the form table in League One, over four games, over six games. Second in the form table over eight games. Five wins, two draws since Christmas. They've had... This is now their second chunk of the season where Rhett Wellens has just really hit on something and got everyone singing from the same hymn sheet. And we know that Wellens sides, when they're at their best, go on these kind of runs. We saw it last season in League Two. We saw it with Swindon in the past as well. Um, and they are going to be, you know, there's a big gap to Stevenage in, in sick. There's no denying that, but I think their fans are rightly thinking, well, hold on. You know, if there are, if the teams above us do slip up, then we're the team with the current form who are eating into those um, into those points. Sadly, certainly Oxford and seventh are a team that they'll expect they'll be able to, to chase down, and Blackpool just four four points ahead of them too. So, and as you say, this was a far more dominant three two, you know, far more dominant victory than the three two scoreline suggests. So, um, yeah, really impressed by them. Um, whether or not they can maintain it, you know, teams generally don't win every game, so there probably will be a bit of a drop off at some point, but. Um, they are playing very well. Teams definitely don't win every game, 
Sometimes a team like Wickham only wins one in 17 and then they go away to Cheltenham Town. And it's a Cheltenham Town team that are trying to chase them down. It's a Wickham team that have been sliding down the league table after a decent start to the season. And everyone's getting a little bit worried. And then they pull out a 3-1 win at Cheltenham. Huge for Wickham and Matt Bloomfield, this. Um, Leahy's excellent set-piece delivery set them on their way. Grimmer at the back stick, uh, sort of kneeing it in somehow. This came after Curtis Davis had missed a good chance uh, from a set-piece situation at the other end. These are the small margins, aren't they? Then Wickham put together a devastating counter-attack. McCleary into Vokes, flicking it back. The onrushing McCleary running through and finishing really well. This was, I think, from a Wickham point of view... Huge frustration at the run of form. Lots of holes to pick in the team's performances and the way they've managed games. But also, certainly amongst some of the fan base, a nagging feeling that the team isn't playing that badly. And that only winning 1-17 in was probably down to a little bit of bad luck and the bounce of a ball here and there. So now they're on the other side of it. And it'd be really interesting to see what their next 6-10 games look like. Because I still don't have a very good steer on how good Wickham are or not. For sure. I mean, as you say, this is a big win, and I think it buys Matt Bloomfield a bit of time. Um, you know, there's of all the clubs in the EFL now, it feels like there's the you know Bloomfield is one who's under big pressure from the fan base, but not necessarily internally. Like you don't get the feeling there's any imminence of, of change at, at Wickham. I think they're a club who do look at the underlying numbers, and we'll see that in terms of pure data, the performances recently have been pretty good. Um, so for them to go to Cheltenham. You know, one of the upwardly mobile teams in the in the relegation zone at the moment, and to beat them in the way they did was was massive. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that I don't really understand necessarily what they are or, or how good they are. Like, if it felt for a time like maybe they were one of the poorer teams of the league, but possibly not a relegation candidate. Um, I think we have to remember this is still definitely transitional in terms of completely revolutionising the the playing style and therefore the personnel needed in order to 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 activate it and do it well. Um, but yeah, in terms of, of pure result and what was a game where, as you say, if Curtis Davis puts Cheltenham one up early on, you don't know what's going to happen. But, but Wickham certainly the dominant force from then on and fully deserving of their three points against a, a very, very hard place to go right now. Now, in general on the pod and even in our transfer coverage, we try where possible to be objective. We try to be detailed in our knowledge and our analysis and we don't just blindly assume that all signings will be good signings, even though that's, I think... Most are bad. <laughs> yeah, some of them, particularly in January, are just simply not going to have any impact whatsoever. Having said all that, right. I still retain a little bit of heart. And that little bit of my heart will always be overexcited when a Costa Rican wonder kid gets signed by a League One club. In this instance, Brandon Aguilera on loan from Nottingham Forest at Bristol Rovers. If they are short in stature and have a dynamite left foot as well, that's the icing on the cake. 15 minutes into Aguilera's debut, takes a touch away from the defender and spanks it into the top corner. Goalkeeper barely moved. I watched every touch from his debut on my <laughs> scout on Sunday morning. Yeah, And let me tell you, it wasn't just the goal. There were some other really nice touches in crowded midfield areas. I'm sure there's a rawness to him. I'm sure there'll be aspects of League One football that will not come quite so naturally to Brandon Aguilera. But hello, hola, Brandon, welcome. Yeah, amazing way to introduce himself to the to the FL. Interestingly, his name is actually Brandon Aguilera Zamora. So he's got two icons of 
of modern day culture yes. in his surname. Um, Christina, Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. Also interesting to note that he's, Flowers. he's played two music references. Brandon Flowers, one Christina Aguilera, Bobby Zamora. Big playoff moment. My Dream Dinner Party. Um, interesting to note that he's also played quite a lot of football, um, which in itself, you know, when you look at low knees that come in, and looking, Oxford had one from Forest last season called Atif Cognate, who had not played much football, but Aguilera came into Forest having played quite a lot of first team football in Costa Rica, which I think bodes well. Like, this isn't a first loan, this isn't a guy playing his first um, football. He's played for Costa Rica national side eight times. Like, this is a guy who is a, a, quite clearly a serious talent. And uh, Rovers have done well to get him in. And yeah, a moment of sheer quality for the goal that, that wins this game. Yeah, you can get your own Brandon Aguilera Zamora name. <laughs> by taking the first name of the lead singer of your favourite uh, rock band, the surname of a very popular female pop star. Just any popular female, your favourite popular female, surely. Favourite popular female? Yeah. My wife. <laughs> and uh, and, fi- and finally, uh, the surname of someone with an iconic playoff, EFL playoff moment. Mine I've, is... I've got mine. Yeah, go on. Matt Beddingfield Windass. <laughs> Mine was Kelly Spears Windass. That's fine. Yeah. They're, they're, they're half brothers. <laughs> um, Fleetwood beat Port Vale 3-0. Massive for them. Their first win since the 11th of November. They've got an absolute mountain to climb to stay up and it seems incredibly unlikely. Um, but this was finally a good day and a first win for their manager, Charlie Adam. Are still eight points clear or eight points away from safety. Um, but... They had this kind of insane deadline day, Fleetwood, where they lost Josh Earl, they lost Jack Marriott, they lost Josh Vella as well a few days before. You know, three senior first-team players, Earl in particular, one of their key players. And they added three left-footed defenders, uh, Elijah Campbell on loan from Everton, who's slotted straight into the Josh Earl role at left centre-back. Um, they also signed an Irish striker. They also signed Gavin the Big Switch Kilkenny on loan from Bournemouth. Uh, not all of them played here, but they won anyway. Uh, Ronan Cochran, who's another Irish striker that they signed a few weeks ago, scorer of 35 goals in the Irish second tier last season, uh, and now gets his first goal in the English third tier with a tap-in. Um, Stockley had put them in front, and they beat Port Vale, who are now probably feeling a little bit itchy, uh, perched as they are, just above the relegation zone. The saving grace for Vale is that they've got three games in hand on the four teams above them. Two on Reading, one on Cheltenham, two on Fleetwood and three on Carlisle. So they have or will have opportunities to make things look a little less edgy. And in terms of PPG, they're not quite as close to the bottom four as the league table would suggest. But you still need to do the business when the games come around. And losing 3-0 at Fleetwood is definitely not that. George, Shrewsbury 1, Cambridge 2 or Burton 0, Lincoln 1. Lyle Taylor. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, to Poacher's goal. Shrewsbury went 1-0 uh, up thanks to a Daniel Udo goal, um, which we thought might continue the good start. They've made undo, under Paul Hurst uh, returning to manage there. And this was kind of a big game between two sides who've been on the periphery of the relegation battle uh, for the last few weeks, both having appointed new managers. Uh, had Shrewsbury won, it would have been back-to-back wins, um, which would have put them in a very strong position. But... Uh, Lyle Taylor had something to say about that. Jack Lancaster with a really nice assist, a uh, player that we're both uh, 
being quite impressed with at the moment um, for Taylor's first. And then, yeah, as you say, for the second, both of them kind of similar finishes um, that get Cambridge a really valuable three points on the road. So a big win. I, you know, I hold my hands up and say that I wasn't particularly enamoured with the Lyle Taylor signing uh, when he came in, having not done much at Wickham. But at the moment, he's proving his worth, scoring some really crucial goals for them that is kind of keeping them away from the, the real crux of that battle down towards the bottom. Yeah, the ninth best... PPG in the league since Neil Harris was appointed. So I think the Cambridge board can feel pretty justified in making that change. They're now seven points above the relegation zone. It's not panic stations, which it probably was a couple of months ago. And, and staying in the division will help them continue to, to kind of grow on and off the pitch as well, which feels like their kind of sustainable plan going forward. Um, on that note, uh, it's worth listening to both parts of our special interview with Mark Bonner. They've gone out on the feed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, George talked to him about the Cambridge United story and then I had a fairly random but quite fun natter about just football management in general, asking him some quite specific questions about aspects of football management that I think it would be great for us all to understand a little bit better. Uh, and Mark's just so open, so honest uh, with both of us in those interviews that so was uh, really fantastic to spend time with him and hopefully you've enjoyed the content that came off the back of it, uh, Burton nil, Lincoln won. Surprising because Lincoln, nine games without a win and down to 10 men before the half hour mark here. Mitchell sent off for two yellows, but they just seemingly, despite presumably being fairly low on confidence, just sort of cracked on, pulled their socks up and that's impressive spirit. Uh, they kept composure, they handled the physical battle. Burton starting with Kyle Hudlin. A six foot nine striker up front with Adamola Ola Adabomi, six foot four striker uh, on loan from Palace. So that shows you what their sort of threat is going to be like in the coming weeks and what Patterson wants from his front players. But Lincoln stood up to them and showed much more quality in the final third when they got there. Rico Hackett Fairchild squirming a shot through uh, Crocombe. And that was just the bit of luck, the break that they needed to break that winless run. Uh, and Oxford drew 1 1 with Reading, George. It's a draw. Do you want to talk about it? Um, yeah, it was a poor game between two fairly poor sides, I would say. Reading seem to have quite good spirit at the moment. Their record in the last 10, 15 minutes of games is much better than it was to start the season, which I think is credit to the way that Sellers has kept everyone pulling in the same direction. And I'm sure that was a sweet, sweet moment for their fans at the cast to get the equaliser and the draw at Oxford, who are slipping away from the playoff places. League Two had seven draws. Seven draws, Jeremy? That's insane. Funk work of the fixture list is that the bottom four all played each other. Colchester against Forest Green. Sutton against Doncaster. The teams in the relegation zone playing against their most direct and closest competitors. The ones that they're chasing down. Could they narrow the gap between themselves and the teams they're chasing? Status quo. They both were draws. Yeah, nine changes. Col I mean, quite, quite dramatic. Yeah, circumstances. I'd say so. Cole, you played Forest Green and the visitors Forest Green tuned up after half an hour. Then in the second half, Cole, you scored three goals in six minutes. Uh, Ali Smith there, uh, relatively recent signing, scoring one and involved with the others as well. Um, only for Dom Thompson to send in a dribbler from range and no getting away from it. It's an absolute howler from the goalkeeper, Owen Goodman, on loan from Palace. Takes a nick. Takes a nick like 10 metres in front of him. And is coming at him at half a mile an hour. Uh, and he's there. He's, he is literally there. The ball is there. He's there. Just push that to one side, mate. Uh, he didn't. And it means that instead of a 12-point cushion, which is what Cole, you would have had over Forest Green, uh, it is still 
10 points. And Sutton, Doncaster, 1-1 with a late, 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 late penalty by Joe Ironside, who put his body where it hurts, got absolutely cleaned out by Dean Buzanis in the Sutton goal and scored the penalty. And, and Sutton had played well in the second half. They look much more creative to my eyes in open play in particular. Morrison is getting a tune of sorts out of this squad and, and the new players that he was able to add in January. Um, but it's five draws and one defeat in the last six games. They have to turn some of these competitive displays into three points because it is getting away from them slightly. They could have cut the gap to four points if they'd seen that out. Instead, it's still a seven-point gap. Uh, in the top, at the top, George, the top three had a win, a draw, and a defeat. The win was Mansfield's. 1-0 against Notts County, over whom they have done the double. Yeah, huge. Um, huge win for Mansfield, whose <coughs> recent absentee list has been so long, and the form has kind of gone alongside that. Um, so for them to come here against Notts County side under new management, who we know are kind of finding their feet alongside the new style. But to win the game the way they did with Davis Keeler Dunn, who's been such an important player for them this season, getting back amongst the goals after a, a bit of a drought himself. This just feels like a really significant win at a really significant time for, for Mansfield, just to show that they aren't, you know, having been so dominant at times previously in the um, in the season, uh, winless in four coming into this, uh, not conceding a goal against Notts County side, who basically score against everybody, um, feels like a, a big moment. So, you know, it's it's this time of the season where there are so many twists and turns where every weekend every every Monday you and I sit down and we say feels like a big weekend for this team because other teams drop points but the Mansfield malaise has been you know it's, it's basically lasted the whole of January and, and it's kind of felt like the most rock solid team in League 2 um, had lost their solidity due to uh, the absentees so yeah significant win big win and a win that especially with one and both sides around them dropping points um, kind of puts them back uh, in, a, in a really strong position to not only finish in the top three, but take a claim to, to try and chase down Stockport. Yeah, the leaders Stockport drew at home to Harrogate, one all. Another impressive performance from Harrogate Town, who are putting together quite the run of performances and results. Um, Matty Daly with a fantastic little spin inside the box to get away from Stockport defender and fizz the ball across for Cornelius to tap in. Paddy Madden then provided Stockport's moment of magic with a lovely little dinked ball over the top. Uh, the overlapping, on-rushing fullback Macaulay Southam-Hales cutting it back uh, for the finish by Connor Lemonhay-Evans. Uh, for a one-all draw there, uh, Salford beat Wrexham 3-1. So Wrexham, the team in the top three that lost, it actually means they drop out of the top three. This game saw four goals, all from set pieces. First, it was Theo Vassell heading home a Garbutt corner. Then Elliot Watt scored directly from a corner, an Olympic goal for Elliot Watt. And normally do I you said... Think, a, do you think he meant it? Good question. I hope not. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. I've always had the little sort of little fun bits and bobs that you have when you're a massive EFL nerd. One of them is that Elliot Watt, until he scored that goal, had got 17 assists in a Salford shirt and he'd never scored a league goal. And I always liked the idea that Watt was such an unselfish facilitator with such little goal-scoring genetics that he would potentially go his whole Salford career racking up <laughs> assists and never scoring. And then he goes and scores direct from a corner. I'm just quite annoyed about it because it just puts an end to those yeah. 
statistical quirks. Uh, Matt Smith volleyed home and Elliot Watt cross, which came after a quick throw-in for 3-1. Wrexham uh, having scored through Sam Dolby. It means, George, that no team has picked up more points than Salford in League Two since Carl Robinson was appointed their manager. Have they finally cracked it? Short term, they've definitely cracked it. I mean, it, again, not to take anything away from Carl, but it feels like a good job to come into. You know, you're taking over a playoff side from last season who uh, were just performing so crazily badly. Um, despite the, the the tools at his disposal. And when you consider, you know, Elliot Watt, Matt Smith, they oversell the players scoring these goals. Like these are players who shouldn't be involved in a relegation scrap in League Two. Um, but, you know, all credit to him for coming in and so quickly changing or just completely changing their performance level. You know, they were by far the better team here. Like in that first half against, against Wrexham, Wrexham couldn't even get near their goal. Like Wrexham's, um, the goal that Wrexham got back to make it 2-1 was their first shot in the game when uh, Salford have already racked up double figures. So their only open play shot in the game was in injury time, twenty five yards blocked. Their only open play shot. That's that's red flag territory for me for Wrexham, for a team that are in the top three. It's back to back defeats in the league, and they drop out of the top three, uh, replaced by Barrow. Barrow MK was a very interesting fixture pre weekend. Let's have a close eye. On Barrow against MK. How will it play out? Well, it played out in a pretty cagey way with Barrow, as ever, excellent out of possession, very well set up to cope with MK Dons' style of play. As ever, not exactly cutting loose and creating chances for fun themselves, but now they've got Cole the goal Stockton, and most importantly, they've got Cole the goal Stockton looking motivated, looking yeah. pretty up for it, and as part of an attack where it's not all about just relying on him to score from 45 yards. His winning goal was sumptuous. He has a, a means of finishing that is so different to everybody else. Like I, the way that he puts this away, you know, he's basically set set through and he kind of just rifles it into the, into the, into the roof of the net. I just feel like not many strikers uh, try and score goals the way that Cole Stockton scores goals, um, and he's done very little of that in recent times. But there's no denying that when you have a, a motivated Stockton in League Two. He is such a an effective, direct goal threat. And even though I hate, I generally hate strikers shooting from where he does, there's no denying that for a team like Barrow, who are, you know, that there isn't much patience in what they do necessarily. Like when they get the ball forward, they want to be direct. And um, he kind of fits into that incredibly well. So maybe a bit of a masterstroke getting him in you know it was only a year ago that he was being linked to some top end league one clubs um, and he's a great option for them to have and yeah massive significance when you consider the, the league position of both of these sides for Barrow who you know defensively have been have been lacking in recent weeks um, but coming up against uh, an MK side have been free scoring dealt with them really efficiently too so Barrow back to their best uh, that we've seen under Pete Wilde in, in, in recent times yeah Barrow famously won seven in a row through November and the start of December, then only won one of seven uh, over Christmas and then throughout January, and now back in business with a 1-0 over MK. With Wimbledon away next up, that will be a fascinating game uh, as well. Uh, other winners in League Two were Newport. They beat Swindon 2-1. Uh, now, somewhat surprisingly, I'd like to start this by saying Swindon were excellent at 0-0 in this away game. They've been not excellent in the main over the last few months, but uh, they were knocking it about really nicely. They looked coherent. They looked creative. Uh, they scored a nice goal when Godwin Malif went over the top to Glatzel, who broke the offside trap and finished. 
Glatzel, I must say, just it's only a couple of games. I don't want to get carried away. I'm touching wood because I'm praying he doesn't get injured. But he is a really interesting attacking player to me at this level. Uh, and he's looking good in a Swindon shirt. I'm also excited about Summer Swindon's uh, late window signings. Um, Sean McGurk in particular, they've got uh, on a permanent. He's just left Leeds under 21s. He was uh, one of many former Wigan Academy graduates that were sort of um, sold off the family silver when Wigan were in financial difficulties. Um, a couple of other players on that front, like Alfie Devine, uh, of course, Joe Gelhart as well. Uh, McGurk was putting up great numbers for Leeds's PL2 team. So drops permanently down to Swindon, which just on the face of it seems like a bit of a coup. Of course, uh, it's not simple for a player that hasn't played any senior football to just go straight into a League League Two team and start thriving. But I'm interested. I'm hopeful on that front. However, that's the end of the positives for Swindon because it all fell apart as soon as they went 1-0 up. So mentality issues potentially still there. Or maybe it was just Newport who realised that they need to get their act together because uh, Will Evans scored his 20th goal in all competitions this season. And then Seb Palmer Holden ran through to make it his third consecutive league match winning goal for Newport County. He scored in two 1-0 wins and now in a 2-1 win uh, as well. But I just want to go back to Will Evans because I'm not sure we've necessarily given Evans as much praise and credit as he deserves this season. 20 goals in all competitions for a Newport team who are at best mid-table, but for the main, in the main rather, have been in the bottom half of the table. And he's got such a fun career path, Evans. This to me is like, I'm not a Welsh football fan. But if I was, this would basically be like my dream career path. So he went to Cardiff Metropolitan University. Cardiff Met have a team in the Welsh leagues. He started playing for them as a student. When he left, he was going to get a normal job. But then Barla Town offered him a contract. So he was playing as a semi-professional for Barla, uh, also in the Welsh Prem. Uh, then Newport bought him. And so he only became a professional at 24. That's two years ago. He's 26 now. Last season, didn't really feel like Newport knew how best to use him. He played as much as a left wing back as he did up front. He's got amazing physical attributes, stamina, speed and power. I guess they weren't quite sure what his natural position was. Now you can't argue that he's best up top, where he's just such a handful and his finishing's been really good as well. Um, the best part about Will Evans is, yeah, how about this for just being a good bloke, just a nice, relaxed guy who doesn't want to buy into, you know, cancel culture, for want of a better phrase. Great news story on the BBC website. Will Evans has backed Gary Lineker over the TV presenter's quip that the Newport County striker previously played in a farmer's league. Following Newport's televised FA, clash, FA Cup clash with Manchester United, Lineker said of ex-Barla Town and Cardiff Met Ford Evans, he's gone from Farmers League to the big time in the FA Cup. It angered some Kimry Premier fans who found the comment disrespectful. Fair enough. But Evans responded, if I'm honest, I think it was a passing comment. He added, the fact I was living on a farm and I've played in that league, I can see how it was misinterpreted. I think it was just one of those. It rolled off the tongue that I was a farmer and that I've played in that league. I'm back in Gary. I don't think he meant anything by it. Amazing. What a good guy. I think when you say it was taken as being disrespectful, I think I think it, it probably was quite disrespectful. <laughs> um, even if, if Will's happy to go with it. Nice. Let's all just relax, you know? Mm. Um, let's get Will Evans on the pod, I think. We just like insult him as much as we can and see what it takes to get him wound yeah. up. <laughs> Perfect. Um, George Crawley fell at home to Morecambe. It feels like you, you can keep chipping away at Morecambe. You can keep chipping away at them. You, you take all their loanies away. You take their manager away. Then you sell off their star youngster, Danny, Danny Mayer? Adam Mayer, Adam. to Millwall. 
And they don't care. They keep coming. They'll say, hold on, we got the Jeds. <laughs> we, we will double Jed you. Um, Jed Brannan, first team manager, and Jed Garner, brace hero, um, lone striker here. <laughs> brace hero. Brace hero. Um, <laughs> yeah, another one where, uh, yeah, I mean, not loads of, of chances at either end here. You know, Morecambe doing what they, often the kind of way that they win games is fairly marginal, if that makes sense. Like, it's not often you see Morecambe, especially on the road, just dominate games, but they're just so good at doing this. They're such good competitors. They have an amazing uh, innate ability to get over the line and, and, you know, a recent run of poor form had me looking at their points, Sally being like, they still need a few more points to... Nah, they're going to crawl in, they'll beat them 2-1 and then uh, they're absolutely fine. So, um, I think after the, the departure of, of Derek Adams, it was all about... Um, making sure that things didn't unravel too much and, and they're in a position now where they can start building for the future under under Jeb Brannan, which is important. Uh, frustration for Crawley, whose good start to the season seems to kind of be fizzling a little bit. <laughs> uh, Jill's drew one all with Walsall. Strong away performance, I, I think, from Walsall and almost led to three points. Hutchinson had put them ahead from the spot. Hutchinson had had a few other dangerous moments, uh, chances that he didn't take. And then Jill's pumped a long throw into the box and Masterton leathered in the loose ball. Uh, Masterton is now of current Gillingham players with Macaulay Bond having left uh, on deadline day. Masterton is now their joint top scorer with four league goals. Uh, Accrington nil, Grimsby nil was a match that happened, but one in which I think a clean sheet was pretty significant for Dave Artell and for Grimsby. Tranmere nil, Crew nil. I would say again, Strong away performance from fifth-placed crew. Uh, Chris Long and Baker Richardson had the two most presentable opportunities in the game. And it was good to see Ed Turns go straight into the, the heart of their back line, which means Luke Offord can move back into that defensive midfield role that's brought out the best in him. Uh, Charlie Kirk as well is back at crew, and he came on in injury time for a, a nice homecoming there. And then Bradford nil, Wimbledon nil, uh, an eighth away clean sheet of the season for Wimbledon. That's despite... Uh, that brilliant centre-back partnership of Joe Lewis and Ryan Johnson, both missing through injury, but new signing Kofi Barmer on loan from Crystal Palace and veteran Lee Brown uh, both defended very well. Uh, and actually, it was probably at the other end of the pitch where the most exciting stuff happened. Omar Bugle wrestled to the floor during a set piece, the referee not giving a penalty when it looked pretty clear-cut. Uh, he also got booked for diving. He did one of those ones where uh, you sort of carry the ball into the box, there's a defender on your back, and you just sort of throw yourself into the defender and then on the floor, uh, and the referee didn't buy it. Bugle was booked for diving. The match was stopped at one point in the second half when Bugle reported an incident of alleged racist abuse. We saw a similar situation in the Birmingham City West Brom game. It is uh, becoming uh, increasingly notable how often these incidences are uh, occurring. Thank you very much for listening to this week's NTT20 Monday pod. Uh, we are, we're not at the run-in yet. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not quite the run-in. This is like, uh, it's like when you're watching a horse race. The beginning is quite fun. Someone's like joss jostling for position. Yeah. And when they turn in and everyone gets off the bride and starts going, it's quite fun. We're going to turn in quite soon, but at okay. the moment it's just like, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> come on. Come well, on, let's get, let's get towards the end. I tell you a point. What I would say is, Last weekend was the first where, before Saturday, I look at the fixture list, 
and like the significance of the results of games between, for example, the bottom four in League Two. Yeah. For example, Huddersfield, Sheffield Wednesday, mm. or QPR, Blackburn, or Stevenage, Blackpool Huge. in League One. I am starting to feel the jeopardy a little bit more. Yeah. And good sport is run off jeopardy, George. Yeah. And that's what's going to carry us from now until the end of May. Thanks very much to Betfair for sponsoring this podcast. Join us again in the second half of the week with a betting show. We'll be back on Dear Ali and George as well, which is our Q&A mailbag style podcast on NTT20.com for paid subscribers. See you over there uh, and go very, very well.